0: Of 1 Samuel. So we're going to get two in there today. So you better buckle in because there's, you're going to, if you didn't want to hear my voice, today's a bad day to be here because I'm going to be talking a lot. A lot. David, we're into talking about David. He's an ordinary man chosen by God to do extraordinary things. He's just an ordinary guy like you and me doing extraordinary things. He was just a boy, he was working in his father's field. When Samuel came to him, anointed him with oil to be the next king of Israel, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And we know this, right? We've talked about this. We've talked about the idea that the accomplishments and the feats that have been achieved by David, they weren't because of how good of a guy David was. They're not because he's a better man than you or I. He was able to do all these things that we know and love about David because God was working through David. When the Holy Spirit rushed upon David that day with Samuel, David was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he had access to the extraordinary of the living God of Israel. That same spirit given to David about 3,000 years ago is the same spirit given to you and me today. The same power that was demonstrated through David about 3,000 years ago is the same power that is demonstrated in your life today, the same living God of Israel. And so we talked about this a little bit ago, and and we'll keep talking about it again every week as we go through the life of David, that David was an amazing man, but he wasn't amazing because of who he was as a man, but because of who was working through him, the God of Israel. And so we know this. We know this, that David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man whom God set his heart upon. When David was anointed the future king of Israel by by Samuel, that we know that God chose David and God set his heart upon David. And we know this, we know that David didn't achieve great things because of the inherent greatness of himself, because of his rugged looks or his ability to wrangle a sheep in under five seconds flat. David was able to achieve greatness because he had the Holy Spirit living in him, directing power from the mighty God of Israel. And so if you remember in chapter 16, of 1 Samuel. Actually, Matt had this idea. He discussed this idea, and he had this quote for you. He said, David did not achieve greatness because he nurtured narcissism. That would be vanity like Saul. Vanity or narcissism is excessive interest or admiration of yourself or your physical appearance, who you are, or what you've done. So David did not achieve greatness by nurturing his relationship with himself, David achieved greatness by, re, by nurturing his relationship with Jesus, with God, the living God of Israel. And today we're going to look at the two ways that he did that. Two ways that David nurtured his relationship with God in these ways. They'll come up on the screen for you. The first way he did that is he waited on the Lord by prayer and petition, looking for the indication of his will. That's the first way that David nurtured his relationship with God. And then the second way he did that is that he waited for the Lord by patience and submission, looking for the interposition of his hand. Now, these two things are different, are they? Waiting on the Lord and waiting for the Lord. Well, they are. And rather than spend hours and hours giving you definitions and droning on and on, let's just see how it looks. See how these two things look in David's life. So into chapter 23 and 24 today, and chapter 23 is going to show us David waiting on the Lord, and then chapter 24 is going to show us David waiting for the Lord. So let's look, chapter 23, let's get into our Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one around the edges of the room, and uh, you'll definitely need a Bible today. So chapter 23, verse 1 and 2 says, Now they told David, Behold, The Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So, kind of a common thing for the Philistines to do. We know the Philistines were always a thorn in the side of Israel. And so they came to the threshing floor. Now, the threshing floor is is an area, a wide open area where farmers would bring their wheat stalks and, and to separate the good wheat from the bad chaff, um, what they do is they harvest the wheat from the ground, they bring it to the threshing floor, a wide open area, um, and what they do is they beat the wheat stalks on the ground and then they throw it up in the air and the idea was the wind would blow away the bad uh, light chaff and the good wheat would uh, be heavier so it would fall down onto the floor. And so because you need the wind to do this, it's not much good if you have no wind and it just falls in your face. Um, They had to do this outside city walls, kind of in an open area, a bit of an unprotected area. And that's when the Philistines, like the ultimate jerks that we know they were, they would wait for the farmers to do all the work, get in there, separate the wheat from the chaff, and they'd come and rob the, the threshing floor from the farmers and take it for themselves. And so David hears all this going on. And what's the first thing that he does? He gets all riled up and attacks. No, actually, he waits on the Lord. He says, Shall I go and attack? And the Lord says, Yep, go attack. Look at verse 3. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? But David's men are scared. Now, remember back in chapter 22, we know. We found out at the end of, kind of halfway through 22, we found that about 400 men um, kind of aligned themselves with David. And they hear now that David wants to go down and attack the Philistines, and they're scared, which isn't an unreasonable thing to think, right? Like, I don't know exactly how many Philistines were down there, but, but there's about 400 men with David, and they are hear that they want to go down and attack the Philistines. And look at chapter 22. Go back one chapter in your Bibles. Chapter 22, verse 2. These are the men that are with David, if you remember this. Chapter 22, verse 2. And everyone who is in distress, and everyone who is in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, to David. And he became commander over them, and there were about 400 men. Great. It's just great, right? Exactly my first choice of people that I want to be gathered with me. Everyone in distress, everyone in debt, and everyone bitter in soul. Cool, 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 cool. big time. Okay, boys, well, let's go. We're going to go attack these Philistines, right? And they're scared. They're scared. Not surprising when you hear about who these guys are. So David does two things here when he hears what's going on about how scared these guys are. He does two things. And this is the first thing he does. Look at verse 4. These two things are awesome. Look at verse 4 of chapter 23. Back to 23, verse 4. Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So, what does David do? He reads the room. He just kind of looks around and he goes, Yee, these boys are scared out of their boots. David reads the room and he stays humble. He stays humble. He goes, You know what? Maybe I didn't exactly get the right word from the Lord. And David isn't prideful. He doesn't push ahead with his own will. He starts to think, hmm, is this really what the Lord's will is? So David goes back to the Lord. He says, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? And the Lord says, yep, go ahead. I'll take care of the Philistines for you. So look at what David does, verse five. David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. What did David do? David went. Crucial step. Crucial step in prayer is the follow-up. A crucial step in waiting on the Lord by prayer and petition is that when He gives you an answer, you now have to actually do it. Sometimes that kind of sucks, right? <laughs> you know, I have a list of things actually, it's not in here today. it fell out of my Bible and I'm a little worried I lost it. But I have a list of things normally in the front of my Bible here, um, just important things that I've heard over the years, um, stuff I've jotted down. It's about five or six things. I think I've talked about this before, maybe in years past. And one of the things written on there is this. It says, don't... What does it say? Let's see, I've already forgot it. Good thing I've written it down. Hopefully I haven't lost it. It says, are you praying about something that God has already given an answer for? And so there's two qualities here blossoming in David as he is on the path to becoming king. The first is this. He inquires of the Lord, and he isn't so prideful, and he isn't willing to read the room. You know, you can figure out a lot of God's will for you. If you just stop, take a moment, look around, see the people that are with you, understand the environment you're in, and ask God for wisdom. And then the second thing David does is that when he gets an answer, he acts. He goes to the Lord, he gets confirmation, and then he does it. And so a key part of the definition of waiting on the Lord isn't necessarily in the definition, but it's crucially important. Let me read this to you again with my extra little bit. Wait on the Lord by prayer and petition, looking for the indication of his will, brackets, and then be expecting to act. Friends, don't keep praying a prayer that God has already answered for you. Asking for confirmation isn't a bad thing. What David did is not a bad thing at all. In fact, there's many, many instances in the Bible where we see people going back to the Lord for, for confirmation on their prayer. There's nothing wrong with getting a confirmation from God, but when he gives it to you, you would be ready to act. One, maybe two confirmations, but when you start looking for 10, 12, 25 confirmations, it's a little excessive. Look at verse 6, chapter 23. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he'd come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars." And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Verse 9 David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. So remember last week we saw Saul uh, kill, we saw Saul actually have Dog kill 85 people. We had Saul ask, told Dog to kill 85 people who wore the linen ephod. And kill every man, woman, child, and animal in the city of Nob, which is called the city of priests. Because why? They helped David. But one escaped. One escaped. His name was Abiathar, and to David, he brought an ephod. Now, what's an ephod? Well, the ephod was a garment uh, worn by priests during that day. The book of Exodus actually directly outlines what it's supposed to be and what it looks like. So let's just take a quick look. Exodus 28. Verse six, I think it'll come up on your screen, so don't worry about turning there. It's gonna be quick. They shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and of purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen." So on the ephod that the priest would wear, uh, there'd be two onyx stones on it and engraved with the 12 names of Israel, six names on one onyx stone, six names on another onyx stone. And they'd fasten those two stones to the shoulder pieces of this garment. And then on top of that garment, they'd wear a breast piece. It was called the breast piece of judgment. And it was made out of pure gold and it was adorned with All sorts of precious stones, which 12 precious stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in the breastpiece of judgment, there'd be uh, pockets, two couple pockets, and there'd be two stones that they'd keep in that breastpiece of judgment. It's called the Urim and the Thummim. Confusing words. And so the Urim and the Thummim are a little bit mysterious to us about what exactly they are um, what exactly they're made out of. But we do know this, that they would use the Urim and the Thummim to sort of cast lots. Um, and they sort of inquire of the Lord. And so this is particularly important to David because, as we know, he's a man who eagerly waits on the Lord and looks for direction. And so now he has the Urim and the Thummim um, brought to him, and he can inquire of the Lord easier. And now, we don't know exactly how it worked. The Bible doesn't exactly tell us how the Urim and the thummim work, but we can kind of decipher from context clues that they would basically ask a question, and then the priest would either, I mean, who really knows? He'd reach into the pocket maybe, and whatever one he'd pull out would be the answer, or maybe they'd throw them, and however they would land would be the answer. Um, you know, who really knows the exact specifics of how it works? But you know what the great thing is about that is that we don't really need to know how it works. Because I assure you, if we did know, we would, like the humans we are, come up with all sorts of weird rituals, uh, you know, kind of Ouija board it and think that the Lord's talking to us, whatever, you know, come up with all these weird routines to simulate the Urim and the thumum, and rather than just simply asking Jesus for wisdom and guidance. Do you know that Jesus said in the book of John, until now you have not asked for anything in my name, Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Did you know that the Bible says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, then you will be prosperous and successful. Or did you know that the Bible says in Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, we don't need the Urim and the Thummim anymore because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, guiding us, helping us, listening to us, telling us what Jesus wants. Listen to what Jesus said before he went right up into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. He said this, Jesus said, I still have much to tell you, but you cannot yet bear to hear it. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own but he will speak what he hears and he will declare to you what is to come. Friends, we don't need the Urim and the Thummim anymore because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, guiding us, leading us to all truth. Look at verse 10, chapter 23, as David continues to wait on the Lord. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition, and David remained in the strongholds of the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So David hears that Saul's gonna come and destroy the city because David is there. So David says, should I I stay or should I go now? And God says, you better get going because Saul's gonna come. And the men of Keilah are going to hand you over to him, which it's just a total jerk move, right? Like, come on, I just saved you guys from, but they're just going to hand him over. So David packs up, and, and now he's got 600 men with him. So he's acquired 200 men between 22 and, and 23 here, maybe 200 men from the city of Keilah. But he's got 200 more bitter, distressed, debt-filled men joining him. Off to the wilderness of Ziph they go, and Saul continues seeking him every day, but God didn't give him into his hand. And now, we're just going to bring up a map here, because there's a lot of towns and things going on here in the next little bit. So a couple times here, we're going to look at a map, just so you keep your head wrapped around uh, what's going on and where David is at. So remember at the end of chapter 22, David's hiding in the caves of Adalam, which is right in the middle there. So he's hiding there, him and his guys are hiding in the caves there, right in the center of the screen, and then at the beginning of 23, which we talked about today, he went down to Keilah, which is the red dot there in the center of your screen, and the Philistines are robbing the threshing floor, so David takes his men down to Keilah, saves them there, and then Saul is going to come and get them at Keilah, so they pack up and they go down to the wilderness of Ziph, which is your green dot there, kind of in that area. And so that's where David is at right now, uh, midway through chapter 23. And so that just gives you kind of an idea. There's the Dead Sea, Mediterranean Sea on the left there. Kind of get your head around where exactly they're going. Adalam to Keala, now they're down in the wilderness of Ziph. So let's look at verse 15, back to the Bible. And our boy Jonathan comes back. Oh, we love Jonathan, don't we? Here comes Jonathan, verse 15 of chapter 23. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. So David's in the wilderness of Ziph, if you remember on that map. It's right in the center. It's a hot, dusty, arid wilderness with nothing but caves and dirt. He's got 600 bitter, debt-filled men, distressed that he's got to look after. I, I, it only mentions the men. Maybe there's women and children with them too that he's kind of in charge of. To get the point, this is not a nice place to be for David right now. He knows that Saul's seeking to kill him. And just things are not looking great for David. I'm sure he's probably sitting in a cave going, what is going on here as these whining and groaning goes on? But look who shows up. It's Jonathan. And Jonathan gives great encouragement. And what does Jonathan do? Well, at the end of verse 16, it says he strengthened his hand in God. And what a great friend that is. You know, that that oftentimes as friends, I'm going to be honest, and I'm a little... My general life is a little pessimistic, just as my general personality. And so you might not agree with this, but I'm going to say this to you. In general, as friends, let's be honest, you can't really fix other friends' problems. People come to you with problems, and you just really, at the end of the day, can't do anything about it. You just can't do anything. You just sit there and listen. And people have issues and problems and you think you're doing something worthwhile, but let me tell you, you're not. There's nothing you can really do to fix the problem. You know, and I really think the generalization that men like to be fixers, I think is true. I like to fix things. People come to me with problems, and I say, well, I'll tell you what to do, now go do it. And I think I'm fixing things. But the reality is, I suck at fixing things. What do, like, what do I know? I'm a 30-year-old Guy, I what do I know about fixing things? Got plumbing problem, I can take care of that. Anything else, I'm done for. (laughs) But you know what, I can do (laughs) there's one thing I can do. I can strengthen you in the Lord. I can be like Jonathan and say, Don't have fear, God is with you. Don't have fear because I'm with you. I can't fix what's going on, but hey, you're not in this alone. The situation you're in, you aren't alone, friends. Maybe males specifically, I don't know. If you want to be a better friend, don't try and fix people's problems. Strengthen them in the Lord. Just say, hey, you don't have to be fearful about the situation you're in. Listen to Isaiah 41.10. It says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. A word about Romans, verse chapter 8, 32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know, maybe today you feel like you're in the wilderness. You're kind of like David. you got bitter people around you. you feel, maybe you feel fearful or anxious, feel worried. You know, I, I'm not going to try and fix your issue this morning. But I'm going to try and do this for you. I'm going to try and strengthen you in the Lord. Listen to First Peter 3.18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You know, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Friends, take heart today. Take heart, be strengthened. You're a man, you're a woman after God's own heart. Jesus said this in the book of John. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Friends, he who began a good work in you today will continue it until completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. And all you do, continue waiting on the Lord by prayer and petition, looking for the indication of his will. Look at verse 19. This is going to be a bit of a long one here, so buckle up. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go make yet more sure, know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there, for it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information, then I will go with you. And if he's in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. Verse 29, and David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. So the Ziphites, the people of Ziph go up to Saul and they say, hey, listen, David's hiding in our wilderness and Saul... The dingling that he is still doesn't quite get it. it, says, Oh, you'll be blessed by the Lord for helping me. Go find him, tell me where he is, and I'll chase after him. And and so so they do that. The map's gonna come up come up again, just remind us where they're going. So they're in Ziff. He went down to Maon, hiding in there, and then they're about to run over to Engedi sometime after meeting with Jonathan, I'm not sure exactly when, but somehow he ends up in the wilderness of Maon, and then he's going to make a break for it over to Engedi as Saul's chasing after him. And just imagine, Lord, of the like this is straight out of a movie, kind of Lord of the Rings style, we're looking down from above. On one side of the mountain is, is David and his men hurrying away, and on the other side is Saul chasing after him. They might not even know that they're just right on the other side of the mountain from each other. And it's just an epic chase as they're running away. And luckily, what do you know? But the Philistines probably heard that Saul and his boys are away from the city. So they go up and attack. And Saul has to give off chase of getting and And that was a close one for our boy David. But David gets away. He heads to the strongholds of Engedi, which is kind of right on the coastline of the Dead Sea there. And Getty, if you've been to Israel at all, we often stop at Engedi. Uh, are we going again to Israel ever? Someday, hopefully. <laughs> if you go, then you'll probably stop at Engedi. Engedi is kind of like a it's like a little oasis in the desert. Um, there's running water, there's lush trees. It's not anything like the surrounding arid desert. It's a kind of weird little oasis in the middle of it all. So let's look into chapter. 24, as David's in Engedi, chapter 24, verse 1 says, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, remember he took off, he went to chase the Philistines, now he's come back, he's returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and oh boy, do we have this man right where we want him, hiding in a cave. David and all his men are hiding in a cave, 600 of them, and in walks nobody else but our boy, King Saul, yeah, to do what he's got to do, all of us do it. Pops a squat, <laughs> too preoccupied to notice all the men at the back of the cave. And now this is the time for David to shine, right? This is the time for David to take things into his own hands. This is the moment that he's been waiting for. Once and all, he can deal with Saul. But remember who David is David's a guy that waits on the Lord by prayer and petition, looking for the indication of his will. But David is also a man who waits for the Lord by patience and submission, looking for the interposition of his hand. Read verse four with me. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him. Because he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So David cuts off a corner. Of Saul's robe and David's heart is immediately struck. He says, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. Put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And now this can be a hard thing for us to understand a little bit in our culture, our day and age, the idea of honor and respect. You know, we live in a time where we shout it from a rooftop, um, you know, you must earn my respect. And I'll give no man respect until he proves it to me. But the thing about God's kingdom is that it works a little bit differently. Because in God's kingdom, we submit respect and authority because God says so. Here's a great example. A great example is our church. Our senior pastor, Matt. We recognize that he has a specific gifting and calling from God to lead and shepherd his people. And to that, we submit authority and guidance. Or here's another example for you. In marriage in a marriage relationship, the Bible says wives submit to your husbands and husbands love to your wives. It doesn't say say wives submit to your husbands as long as he puts the laundry in the hamper every day. I'm not talking out of experience. (laughs) He doesn't say wives love your husbands as long as he doesn't steal the blankets every night and you wake up cold at two in the morning. It's not what it says. It says in a God covenant, a God anointed marriage covenant, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. And that's what strikes David here. He realizes that though Saul has sought time and time again to kill him, to destroy him, Saul is still currently the anointed king from the Lord. And David persuades his men not to kill Saul either. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my lord for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore be judged and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. Patience and submission before the Lord, a right view of himself, David knows that God has made a promise to him, and David knows God will take care of him in his patience and submission. And he says to Saul, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand will not be against you. Do you know the time period between when, when, when Samuel anointed David to be king and when David actually became king it was about 15 years 15 years is a long time, friends. I can barely go 15 minutes without wondering what's going on with the Lord. But David is a man who waited for the Lord. A promise was made to David, and David knew that the Lord would follow through on his time, not on the time of David. How easy it would have been in that moment in the cave to just take a spear and drive it right through the back of Saul's head. He could have, you know, I'll just kill him now. I'll take care of it all, and it'll be finally my time to shine but he doesn't do it. Rather, David waits for the Lord with patience and submission. Let's look at 16, right to the end. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day, How you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. Verse 22, and David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So Saul, in a large, vivacious act, starts crying and shouting and lifting up his voice. Oh, how righteous you are, David. Oh, how great you are, David. And Saul, the ever-consistent man of flesh, starts worrying about himself, says, Swear to me that you won't kill me or my offspring. And David agrees. You know, Saul, the ever fleshly man, he brings out the crocodile tears and at the end of the day, he only really kind of seems worried about himself and and his issues. And so Saul goes home, but where does David go? He doesn't go home. David goes back to the stronghold. And I like to think, maybe the Lord helped him out here. Maybe he was a little bit wise. He recognized that this emotion wasn't exactly leading to repentance. And he thinks, eh, I better stay on guard here until I see Saul make another move. And so David is unique. He's an amazing person in the Bible. We know that God has set his heart upon David and and chose David to be the next king. We know that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and the amazing things that we see in David's life are because of the power of the living God working through him. But you know, David has some things to do too. It's been said that in the shepherd's field, is where David became a man after God's own heart, but it's in the wilderness where he became a king. It's in the wilderness that David did two crucial things to step into the calling that God had for him. And so let's just review, as the, as the worship team comes back, we're gonna sing one more song. I'm just gonna review a couple things that we went over to here today. Two crucial things that David did to step into the calling that God had for him. It was this. Number one, he waited on the Lord by prayer and petition, looking for the indication of his will. The second thing he did is he waited for the Lord by patience and submission, looking for the interposition of the Lord's hand. So friends, I want to encourage you today. I want to strengthen you in the Lord today that God's heart is chasing after you. He longs for you more than you can imagine, and all you have to do is respond. You know, maybe for some of us here, it's simply responding to Jesus at all for the first time. Maybe it's just simply confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And Bible says, if you do those things, friends, you will be saved. I can guarantee you of that. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's seeking the Lord in prayer and petition, looking for his will. Searching for it. Maybe for some of us, it's actually acting upon his will. Maybe he's given you an answer. Don't keep praying for things the Lord has already answered. Maybe for some of us, it's simply being patient, being submissive to what the Lord wants. You know, the amazing thing about David is that God chose David. God chose to set his heart upon David. And in return, David decided to nurture that relationship. He didn't nurture the narcissism of himself. And so I want to encourage you with one final thing, to nurture your relationship with Christ this week. Make it a priority. Is Christ at the center of your life? How's your daily Bible reading going? Not good? Read one chapter a day. How's your prayer life going? Not good? Well, we got prayer tonight at seven here. Spend five minutes in prayer a day. How's your fellowship with other believers going? Not good? Well, we got a lot going on in the church this week. Prayer soccer, a lot of opportunity to spend fellowship with each other. Are you one of those people that is like, oh great, I got two hours, my church, my Christian life is two hours a week. If you ever share the good news of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you be sharing the good news of Jesus. Nurture your relationship with Christ this week. Let's pray as we'll sing one more song.